Welcome to the First Pres podcast, which features the message from this past Sunday's worship. If you would like to worship with us in person, our services are Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, 10, and 11 o'clock. You can learn more about First Pres at www.first-pres.org. Well, happy Mother's Day. It is, it is great to be together. Um, I was thinking that actually this Mother's Day is the first Mother's Day in many years uh, that I get to spend Mother's Day with my mom in person. I have lived away from Colorado for a long time, so that's really exciting to be able to do that. Um, I also have to admit that even though the plan has been there for a while, that we were having lunch together and all that, it wasn't until yesterday that I got around to doing the card shopping. And that's just such an awkward thing. You ever feel kind of awkward in the card aisle, you know, especially when it's the day before? It's kind of picked over a little bit, and I look over, and there's these other men kind of scratching their heads and wondering what in the world they're going to do. And I think I, think I saw a couple of you men actually uh, there, <laughs> there with me in the Mother's Day card aisle. Actually, I found two lovely cards, one for my wife, one for my mom. Uh, So anyway, we celebrate that. Today we are continuing in our Who Knows series where we have been exploring how we can see our own stories in the context of God's story. Today in particular, I want to ask you this. Who knows what God might do to rescue you when things in your life are not going the way that you had hoped? Who knows when God's breakthrough will come? Who knows how your story with God might turn out? I think it is fitting that on Mother's Day we're looking at a story from Scripture that has to do with a mother and a daughter and seeing in God's story how God indeed broke through and how he rescued them both. And so let's take a look at Ruth We're going to be reading from chapter 2, verses 17 to 23. I encourage you to pull out your Bible and read along, or if you have an electronic device to do that on, we certainly show the slides up here, but we're going to also be looking at a few other pieces of the book of Ruth uh, and bouncing around, so that might be a good idea to have that out. Let's listen to God's word. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Then she threshed the barley she had gathered, and it amounted to about an ephah. She carried it back to town, and her mother-in-law saw how much she had gathered. Ruth also brought out and gave her what she had left over after she had eaten enough. Her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead. She added, that man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. Then Ruth the Moabite said, he even said to me, stay with my workers until they finish harvesting all my grain. Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it will be good for you, my daughter, to go with the women who work for him, because in someone else's field you might be harmed. 
So Ruth stayed close to the women of Boaz to glean until the barley and wheat harvests were finished, and she lived with her mother-in-law. We are thankful for God's word. So for those of you who are not familiar with how Ruth fits into God's big story of the Bible, well, here's a few things. First, Ruth was the great-grandmother of the famous King David. That's right, she was Obed's mama, and Obed was Jesse's daddy. And Jesse, of course, had his seven sons, the youngest of whom was David. Oh, and if you want to see the even bigger picture of how Ruth fits in with the whole story of God, look at the genealogy that is found in Matthew chapter 1, and you can count down then from David 28 generations that then lead to Jesus. So in a nutshell, the book of Ruth tells the story of an Israelite couple. They had two sons. They're living in the time of the judges, and they had to move away from Bethlehem, their homeland in Judah, because there was a famine, and they moved to the country of Moab, and they were named Elimelech and Naomi. And while living in Moab, Elimelech died, and Naomi was now a widow with two sons. Her sons married Moabite women, one named Orpah, I always want to say Oprah, but it's Orpah, and the other named Ruth. And after living about 10 years, both of Naomi's sons also died, leaving Naomi a widow with two widowed daughters-in-law. By this time, the famine back home had ended, and Naomi decided to go back to Judah. And on the way there, Naomi began to worry about what kind of life these two young women would have there, and so she told them to go back to their own people freeing them from any obligation that they might feel to to care for her, freeing them up to marry Moabite men. She kissed them and she told them to go. And at first, both of them protested. But then Orpah decided to take Naomi up on her offer and she left. But Ruth had a different response. She was determined to care for Naomi. And she replied with these now very famous words. They're found in Ruth chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Ruth said to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. Now that is quite an oath, wouldn't you say? That's quite a commitment. And so the two women, they make it back to Bethlehem and the whole town is stirred up because they recognize Naomi and she has this foreigner, Ruth, with her and they are in pretty bad shape. Naomi is really feeling extremely low. She tells her neighbors, and you find this in Ruth 1, verses 20 and 21, she says, don't call me Naomi, which by the way, that name means pleasant. Call me Mara, 
which means bitter. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Now, I don't know if you might be thinking about this, but Ruth, I think, was standing right next to her when she was saying that she was returning empty. Hmm. But that didn't deter Ruth. This morning, as we consider the idea that God, among other things, is in the rescuing business, that God is ready and willing to break into our stories in unexpected ways, I would like to suggest three things from this story that can have an impact on your story and on my story. And the first is this. God is providential. What do I mean by that? Well, we'll take a look at the story of, of Ruth. Starting earlier up above from the words that we read this morning up in verse 3 of chapter 2, it says, as it turned out, Ruth found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. And who again was Elimelech? Who was he? Right? That was the name of Naomi's husband, right? Right? That was her husband's name. He died back in Moab. So Ruth just begins to glean in the fields, and the text says she just happened, or, you know, as it turns out, she is in this field that belongs to Naomi's relative. This statement is used here and in many places, uh, this, it just turned out or it just sort of happened, not to say that Ruth was just really lucky here. No, it's really a literary tool. It's a hyperbole that is really a way to say, you know, it's explaining away any rational explanation about what is actually going on here. It'd be kind of like if something amazing happened and, and you just sort of, something happened in your life and you go, you know, it just so happened that, you know, it's sort of in that kind of a tone that we are hearing this. It's God's providence. It's all about God's providence. How God carefully guides and directs things to bring about his purposes. So let's just consider some of the other, you know, just happens Uh, so far in Ruth and Naomi's story. Ruth and Naomi just happened to come when? Well, it's at the time of the barley harvest. Beginning of the barley harvest is marked by the celebration of Passover. They would have been coming into the town of Bethlehem at a time when the city was memorializing God's past sovereignty, remembering what God did in the Exodus. I mean, that's a pretty big deal, right? And they are especially paying attention to God's providence and his provision. It's a lesson for them. Oh, and did anyone else notice that, that barley is being mentioned as what's being harvested, right? And this is the same grain that was used in the feeding of the 5,000 with Jesus. While the other gospels don't give the details, John's gospel makes a point that these loaves that Jesus used in that amazing miracle came from a boy who happened to be there 
And the disciple Andrew said it. He said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. And of course, when we think of that great miracle, it is all about God's provision, right? And his providence. Well, what else happened with Ruth and Naomi? Well, let's just see. Ruth just happens to come to Boaz's field, right? Who just happened to be a bachelor, a godly man. Ruth just happens to find favor in the harvester's eyes to allow her to to work unhindered. And Ruth just happens to be working at the time, the very moment when Boaz shows up. Oh, and in case you might have missed it, all of this happens to be taking place where? Bethlehem. Hmm, what, what significant, other significant event in the Christian church? Bethlehem. It's a reminder for us about how God was working together those events of the present way back then, centuries earlier, to then bring about the culmination of his ultimate providential plan. So you probably have a story or two about your own life and how it just happened that something took place at just the right time or in just the right place. And as it turned out, this thing that just happened to occur ended up leading you into a whole new direction in your life. Anybody have those kinds of stories? Yeah, we all do. Sometimes this comes, though, at a time when you're leaning very much into that new direction. Sometimes it happens when you're strongly resisting that particular direction that God might be leading you to in your life. And then sometimes, you know, it just happens during a time of difficulty or a time of loss, as was the case for Naomi and Ruth. But at all of those times... God is providential. Okay, secondly, we see in this story that God responds to faithful acts. God responds to faithful acts. Ruth is faithful. She is fully committed. She's all in and caring for Naomi, and she is even committed to Naomi's God whom she really had not known up until that point. This faithfulness leads us to our passage this morning then. After Boaz meets Ruth, begins to kind of take a liking to her, he gives her special permission to gather the grain even from among the sheaves. And he even tells his workers to leave whole stalks for her to gather from. And so you see what began as a faithful act from Ruth of committing to Naomi and then to go out and glean in the field, it leads to this pouring out of God's grace through Boaz. Boaz's redemptive grace then is in response to Ruth's faith. He praises her radical abandonment of the only life that she had ever known and the only place she had ever lived and her commitment to Naomi and to her God. And faith, what, what, Rumi, what Ruth had done, really in faith, it really didn't make any sense, did it? 
but she walked with conviction. What would have been seen by anyone as really a pretty, pretty foolish act, Ruth presses in. She presses into her own helplessness, trusting only that God would be gracious. And what does this faithfully foolish action then bring about? Well, look at what Boaz says in, back in chapter 2, verse 12. He says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Do you see how Boaz is acting in response, right? And he's even seeing God acting in response. Boaz describes what Ruth did as having taken refuge under the wings of God. And even though Boaz rightly identifies God as the source of the blessing, he does so as he himself is the one acting to bless, right? So not only is Ruth faithful here, but certainly Boaz is faithful as well. And I think it's important for us to remember that that God's grace doesn't usually kind of fall down out of the sky and into our laps when we are in need. No, it usually comes actually through the faithful actions of men and women who know God's grace. God's providential plan works through our actions. So what does that mean? It means that our actions, they do indeed have meaning, that God is made known through doing. Just as the grace of God comes through Boaz, we are also to be grace to others. Even to people that our culture deems as unworthy. Even when it's inconvenient. Even when it's difficult or even costly. There is no program for that. I think it's important for us all to see here all of these things that Boaz shares with Ruth, right? He shows, shares his wealth, his food, his fellowship, his protection, even his reputation. She was a foreign woman after all. But Boaz doesn't share with Ruth about his Obligation, his responsibility actually for her, this direct relationship. Even though he knows he is this guardian redeemer, even though that is a part of, of, of how things are in that culture, Boaz doesn't claim at all to be Ruth's savior. The only source of salvation Boaz confesses is God. He doesn't rob God of his glory. He faithfully blesses in response to Ruth's faith. So you see, God responds to our faithful acts. And then thirdly, we see in this story that God is our only hope for redemption. Think about it. There really is no real hope in God's plan if His ultimate goal is only to kind of relieve us of our earthly pain or suffering. It it might make us feel good, you know, temporarily, but there is no goodness or security in kind of, you know, writing me a check 
just to kind of help me in my situation if it doesn't transform my situation altogether. If I'm in a desperate situation without hope of getting out of that situation on my own, I'm struggling, if I'm drowning, if I'm about to go down under for good, I don't need someone to just encourage me, right? I don't need someone to maybe throw, throw out some water wings to me. No, I need someone to rescue me. Naomi knew that she and Ruth needed more than relief. And when Naomi hears the name of the man who owns the field, she has hope for redemption. Boaz is a kinsman redeemer, meaning that he is one of the men charged with the responsibility to rescue them both. It was the law and the custom of the people of Judah. And so let me ask you a very easy question this morning. Where else do we use this word Redeemer. Where else, right? Jesus. Jesus. We've already heard it a few times in our worship. We talk about Jesus as our Redeemer. So here we find in Boaz a picture of Jesus Christ. Boaz was a great man. He had great wealth and great power, and he entered into this suffering of Naomi and Ruth. But he did more for them than just bring relief. He rescued them. Likewise, Jesus entered into our suffering to do more than just relieve us. No, he came to rescue us. And like Boaz in Ruth's story, Jesus does more than just give us his food or his money. No, he rescues us. And ultimately, like Boaz did with Ruth, Jesus actually enters into a marriage relationship with us. It's one of the most beautiful uh, images in, uh, in Scripture about the church, that we are the bride of Christ. I did a wedding just yesterday, and this couple was making vows with one another. What does that look like for us to be the bride of Christ, this one for whom God would do anything? Jesus looks at what is unlovable, unworthy, and unwanted, and he rescues us. He forgives our sins, he cleans us up, he removes our fears and our shame, and he frees us to live with him and with a new identity altogether. You know what the literal definition of the word redeem is? The literal definition, it means to buy back, to buy back. I once heard a story about a, a little boy who um, really wanted a sailboat and he saved up his money and he bought a kit to build a sailboat and he spent just hours and hours putting the very small pieces together and made this amazingly beautiful sailboat and it actually uh, was something that could, could float on, on water as well. And, and so he, after all these uh, actually months of putting this sailboat together, he takes it down to the stream and he on its maiden voyage lets it go well he gets caught in a current and it gets swept away and before he can do anything his precious sailboat is gone 
lost. He looked for a long time for it. No sign of his sailboat. Well, over time, even though he grieved a lot, the loss of his sailboat, he kind of was getting used to it, getting over it, and one day he's walking downtown, and he looks in the window of a pawn shop, and there is his sailboat right there in the window, and it's for sale, and, and the boy is so excited, and he runs in, and, you know, he wants to claim it, and the, uh, the pawn shop guy says, well, you know, I paid money for that, and whoever gets this boat is going to have to pay money for it. And so the boy then goes, and he goes to work, and he works hard, and he saves up enough money to go back into that pawn shop and buy back his precious sailboat. As he walked out of the door of that shop, he said, here it is. This is my sailboat. It is twice mine. I made it, and I bought it back. It's kind of like the same thing that's a, 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 a kind of a normal experience for any of us who use coupons, right? Um, you know, there it is, coupons, 40% off. But what does it mean to really, what's going on with a coupon? To redeem a coupon, we don't redeem a coupon when we use it in a store. The store redeems the coupon. They issue the coupon, we use it, and the, where, the, where the savings is, is the store is actually basically buying back the coupon from us. Boaz bought a field. He bought a field, I'm sure he didn't need another field. But he bought it so he could get what came with it, namely Ruth and Naomi. But the price that Jesus paid for us, friends, was so much higher than the price of a field, more than what Boaz did. We find that Jesus could only redeem us, could only buy us back through pain and suffering and death on a cross. And when he paid the price for your redemption, for my redemption, on that cross, he paid it in full. He gives us new life, new strength, new joy, a new story. As Katie already mentioned, out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, we read this. In him we have, there it is, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. When you thank Jesus for paying the price to buy you back from sin and from death, your story then is overtaken by God's story. You are no longer your own. You are in Christ. You are no longer a foreigner. You are a child of his in full standing in his family, fully restored, fully redeemed. Hallelujah. That was Ruth's story. She lived with a growing understanding and trust in God's providence. In caring for Naomi, she stepped forward in faith. And she was redeemed by Boaz, and through him, she was redeemed by God. And that can be, friends, your story too. This morning, you might be facing all kinds of difficulty. You may not know which way to turn, what step to take next. You might even feel kind of like Naomi did, empty or even bitter. But the good news, friends, the good news is that God has already included you 
in his story. And that is a very big story. It's a story of freedom and restoration and fulfillment and, yes, redemption. Trust, friends, trust in God's providence today that he really has you in his grasp, that you are at the center of his attention. Trust that in Jesus Christ, he has already taken that action to rescue you. Be assured that as you step out in faith, that your faithfulness will not go unnoticed, but will be acted upon. Believe that Jesus is indeed your redeemer. He is your only hope for redemption. And he has already bought you back at a great price. You belong to him. And he will continue to be at work in you according to the riches of his grace. Make Ruth's story your story. Make God's story your story. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. We pray that these would not just be words that we hear in these moments and walk away from, but that these words would work deep down into our hearts, that we would recognize who you are and how much you love us. We thank you for your word today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our First Prez podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.first-prez.org.